your skeletons and shivers down your spine. Shrieking skulls will shock your soul and seal your doom tonight. Spooky, scary skeletons speak with such a screech. You'll shake and shudder in surprise when you hear these zombies shriek. We didn't so sorry, skeletons. You're so misunderstood. We didn't eat these. And, uh... I was told the last time that you need to be handed a fortune to make it yours. So you need to give me one. Thank you. Thank you. I was told that the fortune won't actually work if you choose it for yourself. You have to be given your fortune. I have always chosen for myself. Absolutely. Because of the illusion I thought, of free will. I thought who told me that. <laughs> I thought the person who told me that was full of shit. I was like, go fuck yourself. I make my own thing. I live my own life. Whoever is listening to this, that told me that, because I know it's one of you motherfuckers. Who was the last person I ate Chinese with? I fucking know. It was fucking Disco Dracula. He's the one who told me I can't choose my own fortune. Well, listen to this. Chewing the cookie that was given me. <laughs> yeah, that's what I mean. So, the fortune... I have received. The best thing about giving is that the reaction is always greater than the action. Wow. Really Aristotelian there. And really fucking stupid. <laughs> I'm basically saying any charity out there, people who run charities that are like masturbating, you know. You're wrong. You're doing it wrong. What about yours? Yeah, I really like this one because it just pertains to my interest at the current moment of time. The sky seems small if it is looked at from the bottom of the well. Relates the heavens, you know, the proverbial heavens, into my fortune. I feel more like it's saying... The world will always look like shit if you look at it like shit. Sure. You know, simply put, perspective. You know. <laughs> yep, enlighten me. <laughs> say what you're going to say. No, it's just it's suge <laughs> suggesting, it's suggesting that we as rational agents have a unique ability. <laughs> Hello, I'm agent rational. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. I mean, metaphysically. <laughs> Yeah, continue. So, uh, well, you know, we have we have this ability to, and a, a unique one. We're the only ones who are like able to actually exercise this. We can determine our reality in a in a immaterial sense, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that might be all we need. That's the only superpower that I think anybody really needs in their lifetime. Free will. No, the <laughs> the ability to alter your perspective. Okay. Now, I don't think that wholly suggests there is free will. I think it just appears there's a choice. Okay. You know, now if you want to discuss the, the actuality of an individual willing something, well, <laughs> I'm afraid we're going to sit here for a I'm while really, longer, my good man. I'm really glad that this is where you go after a blunt, <laughs> like... I'm really glad that you just, you know... I become... When you talk. I become Plato. When you... <laughs> or Socrates. <laughs> um, okay, so I got... I actually... I hold on to my fortunes. I don't know if you do. I'm a very um, nostalgic... I should probably start. 
and because I feel like if you look at them more, then maybe you could say one day, you know, oh shit, that one came true. Mm. And my mind always says, uh, the one that that's going to be, it's just going to say death on it. <laughs> I'm going to look at him and be like, wow. Yeah, man. Finger and thumb up. <laughs> um, this one says, patience is bitter, but its fruit is sweet. And, you know, as a very patient and understanding, albeit humble individual. Oh, my God. <laughs> I find the that irony. I find that very true. Albeit humble. I will. F I find that one extraordinarily true. This one's fucking great. One cannot know the best that is in him. It reminds that me. That one's a fucking self-help book in a sentence. It reminds me of from an Asian pastry. A concept, an argument, a philosophical argument used to argue for the existence of. God or soul. An omnipotent power, and the the definition for that thing, it kind of bases off Aristotle's notion of the first mover, mm -hmm. the one to first cause everything. But the definition, and I forget the actual uh, person who kind of formalized this, but God, in in its sense, is something that we it it is greater than we can conceive. So we can conceive the greatest all powerful thing, but our our perception, our conception of it is not even close to what it actually is, you know. So your fortune reminded me. I of like that. Inside of us, there is something that is greater than we can even really think of and rationalize. Than we can ever imagine. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I really like that. That's. A, I can see why I held on to that one. And you know, this one. This one speaks. This one speaks to me too, on a whole other level. I, I there are reasons I hold on to these fortunes, people. When I like them, they're worth holding on to. One joy will scatter a hundred sorrows. Wow. And let me tell you, pussy has never tasted sweeter, my friends. Let me tell you, have, have sex, even, you know, after a blunt, having sex after a blunt will literally never make me sad for at least ten minutes. I'm allowed to be sad, like, ten minutes later, but, like, <laughs> pussy... And some Mary Jane, or Mary Jane's pussy, in fact. Like, <laughs> uh, nothing in this world is sweeter. Going back to your fortune. <laughs> yeah. Shit, I mean... One joy will scatter a hundred sorrows. Alright, I just picture that. That is light being scattered across the universe. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And it's fast. Because it's the fucking speed of light. Absolutely. One joy will scatter those hundred sorrows. <laughs> this is lots of pasta. <laughs> this is the podcast where you bring us your sorrows. And we scatter that shit for some crumbled up green gnocchi on your rolling paper. Oh my god. Sound like, sound like you said gnocchi, which is a I noodle. I did. Which no. <laughs> Pots, pasta. I'm trying to make a metaphor. Pasta. Roll up that dang pasta. I, I really like gnocchi. You re of course you do. Everyone loves fucking gnocchi. So We're doing ghostly gnocchi today. 
We're doing lots of pasta, people. Uh, Creepy pasta. <laughs> Lunatic uh, ghost, lasagna. Ghostly gnocchi. <laughs> ghostly gnocchi. People, we are not sober. And the only way to listen to this podcast for all you straight edge listeners. <laughs> I don't care. He's talking to me. <laughs> you're not only drunk, but you're high right now. But <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you're not fucking straight edge. What's that called? Gross faded. <laughs> yeah, fuck off. <laughs> I have so many people who who like listen to this while they're at work, and I'm just like, how, man? <laughs> how can you listen to this at work? I listen to it at work because I work by myself. <laughs> in my own office, in my own little room. No one bothers me. They forget I'm up there sometimes. <laughs> this is lots of pasta. This is like podcast. Frank. <laughs> Writing my diary, exporting these podcasts, <laughs> sharing my words. Oh, they'll they'll oh. find these podcasts fifty years later. Me in my basement, mummified corpse. Oh lord. <laughs> and and they'll say, man, it was like the Holocaust. <laughs> And he was hiding in the floorboards from real life. That's what they'll say. Exporting podcasts during the Mm -hmm. Holocaust. All right. So today we're here. We're back. We're finishing. I mean, it's only going to look like a week, but last week's story, we cut halfway. It's called The Whistlers. This shit is nutso. I fucking love it. I've been thinking about it so much. It's been a month. I read, I read fucking Odd Kids with a friend of mine uh, while we were on Mushrooms, which is the other one. I, I gave you the option. We could start Whistlers or we could do Odd Kids. And we, we naturally went for the longer narrative, which is Whistlers. But let me tell you, Odd Kids is fucking nuts, man. You're going to fucking love that episode. <laughs> so fucking good. So Whistler is kind of in the same vein. It's like people lost in the woods without anything. And we barely know what's going on. We barely know what these monsters are. We haven't even fucking seen them or heard how they're described. We just know that these people are running. They've been separated multiple times. And finally she found... I don't remember anyone's names. I'm going to start I'm gonna start the podcast off with... I don't remember a single fucking name. But I remember Cucked Husband. Fuck, their who, names. Cucked Husband in the woods who ran off... Uh, I'm pretty sure in a, Nick... In a, Nick is Don't even try to tell me the, the names right now. You're just gonna you're gonna get me off. Sorry. So and not in a good way, folks. So <laughs> the uh, I remember the one who does the cooking, the the waifu, who sleeps with the brother uh, that she doth cuck the husband with. So that's all I remember about the people, and that this journal was found in a backpack. And this guy has just been translating it to at, a Reddit thread. It was at an estate sale. It was at an estate sale. I will take that correction. I don't want to know their names yet. I want to relearn them when we start the story. Uh, <laughs> any any thoughts? I mean, it's been a little while. Okay, so like our heroes, I guess you could call them. They're they're pretty stupid. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But they're in a, this town that was populated. We don't. We barely know. Nothing in this story is, like, fact. None of it is, like, in their universe, I mean. Like, everything is just 
big old hypothetical. Like, I don't know if the town had people. They haven't talked about it. They, they said that the town yeah, was like a they, resort town. They never said if it's open year. They, yeah, they thought that they were expecting it to be populated. Populated. And it's, it is a ghost town. We emulated that it might be like a northern town that gets out of there seasonally, like for winters, and comes back to operate. You know, it's, it sounds like these people are Roanoke. You think they're Roanoke, which I think is fantastic. I would love for that to be true. I would absolutely love for that to be the case. And I do believe we talked about that with the ending of the first episode. Is there anything else you want to talk about or say? Um, I mean, anything right now before you know, we hop into reading. I'm, I'm excited. I hope it doesn't end too quickly. I want it to drag. I want it. I want it to drag. I want it to to keep me invested. Evidently, we got like thirty some pages. Wow, so. this is gonna be a bitch, <laughs> a good bitch. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay if it's a little bit of a bad bitch, but we'll make it a good bitch. Really? After time, it'll, no, she's, it'll learn. She's really good at being a bad bitch. <laughs> That's what I meant. Uh, so yeah, this is. Uh, I don't think it's called Whistler's Part 2. I believe the Reddit threads are cut into like five or six sections. So technically this is like section three, if I'm remembering that at all correctly. So do you want to start? Sure. You look like you're... I'm pumped. ...ready to start. Yeah. So this is one of the usernames, Kiastrashero. Yeah. Kiastrashero and others have asked... Do I feel any better about sharing Ruth's diary with you? Yes. No. I don't know. I'm grateful that so many of you have found value in Ruth's story, but sometimes I still feel as if I opened her grave by posting this, as if I disturbed something sacred. I had a dream about her the night before last. I could barely see her in the woods beyond the low branches of trees. I could hear her voice, a lower tone than I expected, dry, youthful, full of grit and grim humor that we've seen in her writing. Like Jeff Bridges. <laughs> Come on, man. I love Jeff Bridges. Continue reading. It's <laughs> my impression of him. Oh, nice. <laughs> I just thought you were yelling at me. No. <laughs> Sorry. I could hear her tone. Yeah, yeah. Dry, youthful. Yeah, we get it. I asked her some questions in the dream. I asked whether she wanted me to post the rest of her journal, whether there was anyone I should contact, anything I should do to help her spirit rest. As I spoke, she turned her back to me. She shook her head and disappeared into the trees. You'll tell me that this was just an ordinary nightmare. You'll say I should stop obsessing, that I should go outside and breathe some fresh air. Maybe you're right. Maybe I've spent too much time in the company of the dead. I guess the answer is no, I don't feel better, but I do feel resigned. Today we begin on the 2nd of December, on Ruth and Bill's first morning in Red Hill. December 2nd. I woke up in the chair when I fell asleep writing. The lamp's wick was low and had burned down far too much of the kerosene before snuffing itself out. There's a spare can, but it won't last long. I'll have to be more careful. Bill was gone when I awoke. He had covered me with the quilt from the bed. 
I found him in the lounge, inspecting the mounted moose heads and elk skulls. There were books, field guides, and old almanacs scattered on a coffee table. The wood stove was blazing, ticking with heat, but Bill wasn't relaxed. He greeted me in a whisper and moved tentatively through the room. I had nearly forgotten about his injury. So have I. <laughs> Let me have another look at your foot, I said. You should rest in bed for a few days now that we're safe. He shook his head. We're not safe. Come look. He led me through the lounge and onto the porch at the front of the lodge. There's no ice or snow on the ground outside, but the road is muddy and the ground soft enough to hold indentations. From the porch steps, we thought we saw the street and its quartz gravel, the small ruts we made walking from house to house in the dark last night. But now our steps are not the only marks in the road. There are other prints too, evidence of pacing steps and sliding gashes where the gravel has been scraped completely away. It could be the tracks of a dozen pair of feet, or just a few going around and around and the lodge while we slept. I just wanted to make sure he got the magnitude right. It says dozens of pairs of feet. You said a dozen pair of feet. Dozens pairs of feet. My, my God, we're, we're talking 36, 48. That's, all, that's a lot of dozens. That's about three that's or four. three or four dozens. <laughs> <laughs> the footprints from an unbroken circle around us, evidence of the stalking, pacing, night watch of the whistlers. They have retreated now, apparently, but how far? In the moment, I could scarcely breathe. I staggered back against the lodge's front door, my body crumpling down and heaving. And the stories, the whistlers, don't leave tracks, I whispered. Bill shrugged and kept a stoic face. They look human to me, like a grown man dragging his feet. His voice was low, tired. What's wrong with you? He shook his head. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if this is a game the Whistlers are playing, or if the people of Red Hill reappeared last night to make these marks to mess with us. It doesn't matter if it's aliens, or mole people, or fucking Lillian and Jeff back from the dead. We can't stay here now. He opened the front door and nodded me back inside. We'll gather what we can and keep going south until we find another town. There's a closet with some gear, a good tent, tarps, lanterns, a stove. You start getting things together, and I'll see if I can find a vehicle that runs. I stopped in the doorway. I was breathing so hard I could taste blood. No, we can't split up. We're no safer during the day than we are at night. We can't make that mistake a second time. He paused. Fine. I'll take what we need from the closet. You have a look for food in the kitchen. Then we'll pack up and scout out a vehicle together, agreed. I nodded, but was not completely reconciled with Bill's plan. How long can we run before hunger stops us, or the cold, or the harsh unknowns of the landscape? We saw this region from the air, saw the dead-end logging roads and ghost towns surrounded by miles of wilderness. We both know Red Hill has no outlet. What? The single road leads west to an airstrip and a dock that freezes over every January. People leave every fucking winter, man. The mail comes by boat and only in the summer. Oh my god. Bill knows there's nowhere we can actually run. And maybe the whistlers know it too. One task at a time. Food. I walked into the dining area, back beyond a buffet table, waiting for chafing dishes into the kitchen. It is thoroughly modern, with wood veneer cabinets and a walk-in freezer with a gleaming door. Someone put a lot of care into this kitchen. Perhaps they photographed it for brochures. 
bear tours have become popular among the wealthy and well-armed. The cupboards are nearly bare, as one would expect them to be at the close of the season. There's a bin with a few cups of stale flour inside, a bottle of rancid oil, a gallon-sized can of fruit cocktail, a box of crumpled tea bags, a canister of powdered milk, stuck together a brick of sugar cubes. I opened the refrigerator, but the stagnant air behind the door poured over me, making me reel and gag before I forced it shut. I glimpsed molding vegetables, rancid meat, obscure plastic wrappings dotted with black mold. I must have gagged audibly, because soon Bill was at the kitchen door, eyes wild and shining like he'd been sprinting. What's wrong? He said. The fridge is full of spoiled food. I will say that if a town knows it's leaving, they probably aren't likely to leave all their food in the kitchen. They'd probably throw everything out beforehand. So that is a little suspect to me. It is. And, uh, but, but we also know... Expected electricity. We also know that the people have been gone for a long time if the food has had time to mold and plastics to have yeah. mold growing on it. So this has been settled for a long... This well, the food and all that have been left alone for a long time. So maybe they could have left. Well, maybe they could have just, you know, disappeared. I see, I see a timeline of anywhere from, like, three or four months to, like... Yeah. Years. Yeah. Yeah. If I'm reading you correctly. It could it could be up to a year, I think. If, well, I'm just saying, if we're running with our first theory that this town went Roanoke, then this this town could have been built, like, years ago and people went missing, like, yeah. years ago. Yeah, yeah. So... We'll see. Yeah, we'll see. He frowned. That doesn't make sense. They would have cleaned everything out before closing the place up for the season. But it wasn't closed up, I said. My voice was shaking. The front door was unlocked. The tables and chairs are still out. The TV cabinet in the lounge was wide open. The curtains weren't drawn in the bedrooms. Gas in the generator, he said, nodding. Nothing winterized. Like they left in a hurry. Mm. The back of my throat had gone dry. I walked to the freezer and yanked against the long steel handle, preparing myself for another wave of pungent odor. But deciding that spoilage in the freezer could be the final place of evidence that proved the emerging theory that something had gone very wrong for the residents of Red Hill. Ruth, I'm on your level. Bill stood at my shoulder, watching with a weary hand over his nose and mouth as the door's hinge creaked. The food on the shelves of the walk-in was actually better contained than what had been in the fridge. There was spoiled meat wrapped in paper, looking sunken and gory. The ice cream and ice had all melted within confined containers, as if power outages were routine. Besides a deeply musty, almost rubbery smell, at first I thought the freezer, though abandoned, was benign. Ruth. Bill said behind me, his hand creeping shakily along my shoulder, trying to turn me back toward him. Don't look, Ruth. What? And now, I looked squarely to the back of the freezer, where a pair of rounded shoes was visible behind a pallet stacked with sunken bags of frozen vegetables. The steel floor beneath the pallet was shiny with dried fluids that had leaked from the bags maybe days ago, maybe weeks. Don't. He repeated, but I kept looking, following the shoes to a scrawny pair of legs, bent knees, the pleated black pants and white coat of the lodge's chef, 
a middle-aged woman with wiry white hair and a shriveled gray face. I took a step toward the dead woman, felt my bare feet sticking in the mess on the freezer's floor. Bill's grip tightened on my shoulders. Look at me, he said. Look away. What happened here? I breathed. He pulled me away out of the kitchen through the lounge, all the way back to the bedroom where he gently shut the door and put me to bed, wrapping me tightly with the quilt. Just as sleeping beside Bill is different out of the wilderness, so death is freshly strange within the confines of the lodge. The dead chef makes less sense to me than Gary Law or the lighthouse keeper. She died indoors in a place where the beds were still made, where the refrigerator was filled with food. She she should have been safe. Why would they leave her here, I said. He knelt at my feet with a bottle of water and a washcloth, scrubbing the freezer's sickness off of them. I had left my shoes at the front door ages ago, it seemed. When he spoke, his voice shook. What exactly did you hear last night? You woke me. You heard something. A baby? It sounded like a crying baby. The lighthouse keeper. He said sometimes... He, he heard the whistlers laughing, laughing like his parents in the reception hall after church on a Sunday. They'll get inside your head. They'll lure you in. You can't let them roof. 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 I called her roof. Roof? <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> One thing off her. Are sure? I was dazed and couldn't speak, so Bill kept talking. I imagine they were already here in Red Hill before we arrived spooked the residents. The power must have failed already before she went in there. There was a parka on the hook outside. She didn't take it. Must have been a panic. She went in there to keep herself safe. Maybe people started leaving and she couldn't get out. It was all an accident. He said, rubbing my legs reassuringly. They didn't realize she was trapped. There's a bell, I said. An emergency alarm. Her fingers, Bill. Her fingernails. They were scraped bloody on the door handle torn up. So maybe there was no one left to hear the bell, maybe everyone else. But I sat upright on the bed, I couldn't calm down. That night when it hailed, you would have done anything to make Ira quiet down. They got inside Ira's head, didn't they? Maybe they got inside hers too. The brother, the, the cuck, was named yeah. Ira. You think her own people locked her in there? I tried to speak reasonably, tried for academic composure. There's a story, isn't there? One of the old ones. A story about the people the whistlers don't kill. There's one in almost every group, every story. Someone susceptible who succumbs to a kind of madness, tearing at their own flesh, losing their minds, killing their companions. Lillian thought it was a kind of Stockholm Syndrome. Lillian. (laughs) Bill nodded. He told me the story of the family who lived in the outpost north of the lighthouse. It was years and years ago. Mother, father, three children. The father sent a dispatch one day to say he had killed his wife and kids, strangled them. He'd received a warning, he said, so he killed them all. When the rangers arrived, the residence was empty. There was no sign of any of them. No sign of struggle. As if they had vanished over the rocks and into the sea. Bill told me to lie down for the rest of the afternoon, but I couldn't. I'm ready to go, I said, and we wasted no time. We packed our bags in a mournful silence. I was greedy and overstuffed my pack 
taking the quilt from the bed, spare batteries, candles, matches, mouthwash from the bathroom, and the remaining kerosene. Bill found a handgun in a locked drawer, plus ammunition. He had braved the freezer a second time, discovered the drawer's keys in a pocket of the chef's coat. She wrote something, he said when he returned. There was a clipboard mounted on the inside of the freezer, an inventory log and a pen. The chef had scrawled a desperate message on the blanket backside of the paper. I understand it now. After all these years, all these long winters of hearing those damned things howling out there in the woods, the whistlers stand with their backs to us. They stand between us and, and something terrible. They've been protecting us all these years, keeping it at bay, whatever it is. They were warning us all this time. And now, it's too late. Too late by far. It's come to Red Hill at last. That sounds fucking awesome. I would love for this to have like a Lovecraftian twist. Wouldn't that be fucking something? Well, I'd, like an age-old fucking attract, like, mm, contract. I've, I've just got thrown a low 80s, high 70s curveball. <laughs> yeah. I, and I didn't know, I didn't, I didn't even, fuck, dude. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm looking at the umpire, the hell you calling that a strike for? And I'm, I'm like, god damn, all right. Let's go. All right. I've copied it verbatim. I can't stop thinking about it. Neither can I. Neither can I. It's going to be tough to try and get past. You were right, Bill said, shaking his head once he was finished reading. He crumpled the page and left it on the table. Stockholm Syndrome. I was wrapping the end of a fireplace poker with duct tape, but slowed and looked at Bill now, considering the chef's words. They caught Ira in a trap. Yes, he said. They didn't kill him. Didn't hurt him. He was well enough to find his way back to us. He escaped them, but I don't want to hear it, Ruth. I nodded and practiced swinging the poker against fire logs. Even now, all we have to go on are other people's words. We came all this way to conduct our own research, and the only thing we've learned is fear. We hear the whistlers, but have not seen them. We fear the unseen, but what if that's a failure of imagination? Perhaps there's something else to be afraid of, some reason the stories are so few and scattered. Some reason there are so rarely any survivors. Some reason Bill and I have made it this far. Some unknown. It's fucking awesome. Wow. That's so fucking cool. Well, Did well, not expect something like that on, to come what out. What the hell is Ira up to? Well, I feel like they're implying that Ira is that person and that they are going to be disposed of because they had already chosen Ira to be the one survivor of this group. Maybe it's a... You think maybe Ira, it's something more. Do you think Ira's safe? Or do you think Ira's I do think Ira's safe, and I think we're, we can count on seeing him later all Jack Nicholson from The Shining, ready to fucking kill them. Almost... Devoid, wow. devoid of any human. Wow. Yeah. No, that's what I see happening. That I think that would be. Uh, like that, that would he's make sense. consumed by what the whistlers try to warn against. Oh, absolutely. Or he's been no. Or I'm not buying into it yet, and I'm saying 
that okay. the Whistlers do something to make people think that they're helping us to think that uh, we're the enemies so that they get t- so they turn the others on their teams and they have they have the humans do the killing the entire time the whistlers don't actually kill anything they be, just let they do a, they do a proxy slender man thing to these guys this is going to be interesting we wrote a note that was left on a side table near the front door our names and the date contact numbers for our families back home and an apology that we didn't do more for the woman in the freezer we couldn't spare the time and energy it would take to bury her fucker I put the kitchen park on over my jacket and pants Bill layered his clothes under Gary's I always say Gary's law (laughs) Gary laws we took gentle steps away that was that guy that fucking Mormon they found out in the middle yeah. of the wilderness. Um, they, they looked at his identification and they were like, where the fuck's this guy come from? He probably came from this place. He probably came no, from Red took Hill. his clothes. He probably came from Red Hill, yeah. We took gentle steps away from the lodge across the barrier line of Whistler tracks, listening hard. In the light of day, it was clear that Red Hill had been evacuated in a rush. There were split logs stockpiled beside every structure, potted plants drying out on the porch, the garage door left open, its contents in disarray. Not many vehicles, Bill said, as we walked to the far side of Red Hill, out toward the skinny dirt road that led out of town. So this road must lead somewhere, I said, hopefully. They got in their cars and took this road out of town. Bill didn't seem encouraged. To a dock to an airstrip, maybe. I'm sure a town this size has emergency evac procedures. We could follow this road and end up at a dead end. Still, it's better than not knowing. It's better than planting our feet here and waiting to starve or worse. He tugged on his coat and squinted against the bright white sky. We looked into the houses along the main street. Most front doors were left unlocked. They might be in Canada. I mean, that's not even, like, really a joke. We've been trying to analyze, like, where it is they've, they've, you know, found themselves. Yeah. They might be in Canada. They, they might be in like a remote fucking section of Canada. Where they wanted to do research. One had keys stuck in the knob dangling. We found a loaded revolver stashed under a mattress and a dog trapped inside a bare kitchen pantry. It was a mutt, shaggy, pissed off. We opened the door and it shot away into the woods, didn't look back. That makes me think that that was recently done. Is it disappearance? If it's, if it's, no, if the dog's still alive since the disappearance or yeah or maybe something else trapped it into the kitchen i don't know man yeah that's kind of weird that makes me think a person had been there at least that month that's weird to do that you know even that brief scouting wore me out well i'm thinking that dog so that dog must have been i don't think it trapped itself you know put in the the cabinet so that whatever is killing these red hill residents wouldn't kill the dog the owner put the it dog could mean on. it could mean a ton of different things, man. It could be a wild dog that someone just trapped in there because they didn't want to get attacked by it, or um, if the town had already been abandoned, you know that could have been the case. It could have been Gary Law, you know, before he was trying to fucking leave yeah. or try to find a way to leave. Like there are people around here. Um, it also like it could have been a whistler, you know. Maybe they don't like dogs. Yeah, just fuck this dog. But you know. I, I do think there's like a 1% chance that it was a wild dog that walked into an empty house and somehow ended up in a fucking closet. Yeah, that's, that's, yeah. Sure. Interesting. Bill kept looking over his shoulder, tightening his grip on the gun and staring around at sounds. My shoulders were aching under the pull of my pack straps. 
At last we found two worthy vehicles, each with slightly less than half a tank of gas, one a smallish van and the other a jeep with studded tires and the keys sitting on the dash. Bill leaned his hands on the jeep as if it was meant to be saved, but I stood apart, unable to shake a sick feeling and the conundrum of the chef's final words. What if we don't leave? I said. What? You said yourself, there's nothing certain at the end of that road. We could drive to the coast and get stranded. We could end up on foot again, in the woods, exposed. We're exposed here. Did you not see those tracks? I did. They surrounded us last night. They were everywhere. And yet, here we are, standing in this street. Alive. For months, the Whistlers have been on top of us, but we're still breathing. Tell that to Lillian and Jeff. Tell it to Ira. He was yelling now, panting. Our faces were red close. I was blinking away tears, but I wasn't upset, just overwhelmed. One more night indoors, I bargained. Let me wash and be warm just one more time. I'm so tired, Bill, so tired. He didn't agree. Not explicitly, but while we stood with the jeep, it started snowing. Just the lightest veil falling between us. We returned to the lodge. He moved around with a sort of quiet, powerless violence, locking and barricading the doors, drawing curtains and checking and rechecking the guns. He parked the jeep in front of the lodge and loaded the back seat with gear and tools, as if to remind me that our present comfort was necessarily temporary. We dragged the bed into the lounge, close to the stove. We moved the lounge's couches and tables towards the windows, then made the bed almost reflexively, shaking the quilt out between us and draping it over the nearest neatened sheets. Night was falling by then. We're getting out of here Jeez, at first. Like I am legend. It's absolutely like I am legend. We're getting out of here at first light, Bill informed me. I'm going to boil a kettle and take a bath, I said. He softened just a little. I saw towels in the closet. The water pressure is low, but the faucets still work, drawing from the water tower, I assume. I only needed a few inches of cold water anyway. I didn't want to dilute the heat. God, that is such an improper, like, like from a chemistry standpoint, you can't dilute heat. You dilute solutions. And, yeah. And yeah. you basically, you slow the subatomic particles. That's what happens when you free, like, cool something, the particles slow. Yeah. Fucking physicist over here. You can't dilute. That's so stupid. You fucking Neanderthal. What am I, like, if I get out of chem lab, I'm like, hey, mom, you know... Oh, hey, how were you? you know, what'd you do in Chemlab? <laughs> I diluted the heat. Don't mind me. I think my prof totally loved it. Dilute heat. I didn't want to dilute the heat. Dumbass Ruth, fucking scientist bitch. I was eager to be cleansed of the dead chef and Gary Law and even Ira. Eager to get the smell of the forest off my skin and start forgetting the things we'd done to stay alive. Like have sex. Yeah, like, <laughs> I took my hair down while the water dripped into, dribbled into the tub. It had grown long and had coalesced into oily tendrils since the last time I washed it. There were split ends and strands of gray. Ira always liked it long. I thought about cutting it off with my pocket knife. Thought of how light and un unencumbered I would feel once the oily heft of it was gone. I think about getting clean the way I think about eating and drinking. It's a need I can't imagine anyone taking for granted. That feels like it may never be completely satisfied. I hadn't added the hot water yet when I was interrupted by the sound of Bill barreling through the hallway. 
He opened the bathroom door, saw me halfway undressed with my hair down, and closed it abruptly. He spoke through the door in a rush. It's them. Fuck yeah. We're away from the windows in the front hallway listening to them. The howl, high-pitched, nasally, throaty. It's so hard to define. The terror is not just something I remember and have learned to feel, but innate. I experience the fear of the sound on some deep, unconscious level. It is a warning, clicked into the deepest part of my mammalian brain. Danger. <laughs> Danger! Bill held my fire poker and both guns gave me my choice. I took the revolver, only four bullets left in the cylinder. He took the handgun in his full clip. He rested the poker in the hatchet against the wall and stood behind me, near the doorway, pressing his body against my back, his mouth to my ear. At least four of them, he murmured. Close enough, I can hear footsteps. The sound came from every direction. The whistlers were like car horn blasts, so loud, the tendons in our necks tensed. The porch steps creaked, but our angle was awkward. I could barely see the front windows from where we cowered, and the low light from the stove and the electric lanterns barely reached the door. Are we staying in that bathroom? Absolutely. We could go out through the kitchen exit, he whispered between hard breaths, to the furthest cabin. No lights, run for it. It was a fine plan. It's not a fine fucking plan. Barricade. <laughs> Barricade with weapons on the door, man. The whistlers might be attracted to the light and the heat of the stove, and the lanterns might not notice us slipping. Way. Yet, at that moment, I didn't have it in me to flee again. If they drove us from the lodge, who was to say that they wouldn't drive us from a cabin and back into the woods? We couldn't survive being out there again, not in the looming snow, not just the two of us. I thought of the wash line and tents we abandoned the day we lost Ira, and how our flight across the valley had caused us. No, I said. Not again. I charged away from Bill straight toward the front door where the whistlers murmured. I threw open the door despite Bill's warning cry and saw only one figure beyond it, a dark, lanky shape on the bottom step, swaying listlessly, skeletal shoulders hunched behind, a head of shaggy hair. I was blinded by fear, and I raised the gun as I stepped out onto the porch. I fired. I saw his face in the flash, a swollen lower lip, empty eyes, hair clinging wetly to a fevered forehead. He fell like the wind had blown him down, instantly dead, and a moment later I was with him, laying my body on top of his, crying against his face and asking for forgiveness. That's, uh, ill-timed. I wouldn't recommend that. So they're human? So it's a madness, it's an induced madness, and then it becomes a pack mentality? It is very I Am Legend. It's like I Am Legend meet crazies. Go on. I couldn't hear anything, but Bill told me later that there were no whistles, no sign of them. Just Ira. Just his blood and footprints on the walkway and the steps. Fuck! Is that why you told me to continue? She just shot Ira in the fucking face. Bill carried us inside, first me, then his brother. He lay Ira on the floor, I lay down with him, pressing my face to his stone, quiet chest while its warmth ebbed away, asking him weeks worth of questions whose answers we can never know now. 
Shot arrow in the fucking face. I did get ahead of myself there, though. I was ready for them to be human, and I was... I, I'll, I'll admit it. I was disappointed. Oh <laughs> I want them to be monsters! <laughs> Yo, can we open up those chicken dumplings? Mmm. Absolutely. Oh, I fucking love Chinese food, man. That was great. December 5th. Bill left me there with Ira that night. He shut the doors of the lounge and slept in the bed alone. I have kept Ira's body for three days trying to comprehend it. His right arm is missing, torn away. The wound crudely cauterized somehow, but deeply infected. He was barefoot, feet frostbitten, his eyes riddled with broken vessels, hair missing in patches, the nails of his left hand grown and worn like claws. He wouldn't have survived the night. Bill keeps saying, don't blame yourself. I shaved Iris' face, but it didn't help. It didn't make him look any more human. I could hardly see him any anyway, through the tears. The moment you opened the door, it stopped, Bill said. I'm so sorry, I said. Are you listening the whistling? It stopped all at once. I didn't see any of them out there. I didn't see anything but you and him. I saw his face, I said. It's all I saw. The prince circled the cabin and Ira walked among them. We know that much. Since that night, we haven't heard the whistlers. Not once. Yeah, I'm, ten I'm, I'm starting to think this is very much an I am legend situation. December 7th. Bill dug Ira's grave today. It snowed hard the night before and the topmost crust of soil was frozen. And digging was punishing work. It took hours. I thought we were desensitized to death, but I found him sitting on the edge of the hole. When it was done, his legs dangling down, sobbing into his hand. I didn't know what to do, so I sat beside him. Ira was inside, the lodge still rolled in a pale yellow sheet, wrapped up so we couldn't see his face. We sat there together for a long time, both of us pretending we were safe, and he was alive, and the hole was anything other than a grave. I felt the cold in my joints like shards of glass. Why don't we lie down with him, Bill said, meaning down in the hole. I stroked the back of his head. I couldn't think of a good answer. Neither can I, man. <laughs> it seemed to me... Like the reaction Ruth would give, like... Oh. Yeah. We should, we should lie down with him. Yeah. Like, you know. Yeah. Oh, honey. <laughs> I don't. I don't. <laughs> Just rubbing. It seemed to me... We'd been offered plenty of chances to die and declined them until now. I looked into the dark of the hole, whose bottom was settling with tiny snowflakes that didn't last. The snow would fill the grave over us, eventually, preserve our bodies for the whistlers until the residents of Red Hill came back at the start of the dry season. I've heard freezing as a gentle death, like falling asleep. Bill left my side, carried Ira's body to the grave hefted him down and then came up again, standing and pulling me up beside him, taking me away. I'm sorry, he said, though I still hadn't spoken a word. Don't listen to me. Conclusion. I don't have it in me to do any editorializing this time to wind things up. Thank you all for reading along with me these past days, for helping me come to terms with what I found. 
This conclusion begins on the 9th of December, two days after Ira was buried. December 9th. We had a baby, Ira and I, five years ago today. She was born with a heart defect and didn't live long. Didn't ever leave the hospital. I have scars. Her name was Catherine. Ira left town before the funeral, went to a medical conference two states away. But Bill was there. He got drunk and cornered me in his mother's living room. She should have been mine, he said, so close I could smell the whiskey. It's why Bill doesn't believe me when I say I hear an infant's cries on the wind. He knows it's Catherine's birthday. He thinks about her too. I hear her wailing in the early evening, often just before the whistlers start to howl. An overture, a prelude. We're out of food. Each night we build a fire in the stove and sit before it with shaking hands, with cups of tea. There is snow on the ground, snow to reveal that the whistlers hadn't circled close since Ira died. There are no tracks but her own. I've started asking myself the question in practical terms. If I have some choice in the matter, how would I like to die? Would I choose to go as Catherine did, swaddled and sedated in my mother's arms? There was a time when I thought I wanted to die fighting, my knife in my hand, knuckles red from the cold. I'm not sure anymore. I'm not sure I have the patience for that. Everything is different since we buried Ira. The differences between us, yes, and the atmosphere of Red Hill. Bill doesn't bustle around the way he used to, doesn't sit vigil at the windows and watch the distant trees. There is something we've discovered beyond fear. A separate emotion, a detachment. All that matters is the heat of the fire, the weight of the blankets. We hardly speak anymore. Why you gotta be like that, Bill? You, uh, you, you fucked her a long time ago. There's no reason for you to be mad at her now that your brother's dead. You pretty much, uh, you pretty much ignored him for, you know, five years. <laughs> he, Bill is just, you know, I don't, I don't want to bring up mental health issues, but, <laughs> you know, he's, he's a picture of the dictionary. Uh, and I, and I do, I do, in this case, I mean, it is, it is bad. Bill's a bad person. Yeah, absolutely. December 13th. Bill leaves the lodge every afternoon now to look for food. He says he wants to go alone. And I don't argue. He's made a few good finds. Popcorn, instant coffee, noodles, dried parsley, half a bottle of bad gin. Each day he circles a little further out. Stays away a little later. Last night he didn't come back until an hour after dark until I've already heard the mournful chorus of two whistlers far away in the woods. I thought of walking out to them in my desolation. I wanted to see their faces. I want to know my tormentors. When I try to envision them now, all I see is Ira. Ira at the end, his gaunt face and yellowed eyes. Do they suffer as he suffered? Would I recognize their faces? When Bill came back, he pressed a pack of chewing gum into my palm and went straight to bed. He was limping on his bad foot. He'd walked too far. Why were you out so long? I asked. But he rolled over against his pillow, pretended not to hear. December 15th. There are about six inches of snow on the ground. I spent the day stacking firewood on the porch. 
Bill stayed close at my insistence, wandering through town like a tiger in a small cage. There's nothing left to eat in Red Hill, and no game nearby, nothing but coyotes and wolves. In the early evening, he walked across the road with a gas can siphoned fuel from the van, which is parked outside a gray house just up the street. I watched him from the porch. He looked up from his work to look back at me, to meet my gaze through the falling snow. We might go to the coast after all. For all we know, there's a radio out there, a phone, some other means of contact we've overlooked. Maybe the Coast Guard will send a patrol. Maybe someone has been looking for us all this time. Bill stopped staring. His head turned suddenly towards the woods behind the houses, like he'd heard something, a snapping of twigs. What is it? I called, but he didn't answer. He walked a few steps towards the woods, craned his head, but then a streak of brown and black emerged through the trees, went straight for him. There was a deep growl, a scuffle of motion and Bill's strangled cry. A dog. The dog we'd released from a pantry days before. I sprang from the porch and with a stick of firewood in my hands, but was too late. Bill had slipped in the ice, fallen hard against the edge of the van's bumper. The dog tore into his leg, but released it as Bill fell, lunged for his face. I swung the splintered edge of the firewood squarely at the poor beast's skull. He was like a starving, skittish mutt made savage by the cold. Bill was dazed, scraping for purchase in the snow behind me, trying in vain to stand. The dog cowered away from me, and it seemed cruel to swing a second time. So I screamed instead at the top of my lungs, shouted at the dog to run, and he did. He turned. He lowered his body and went slowly toward the woods close by, cowering deeper, like he didn't want to go back into the trees. But I was full of adrenaline now and yelled a second time so loud that my voice echoed off the houses and something answered me. It was a strange roar, a rumble like a rock slide mixed with an animal scream, like a panther. It came from the woods where I had driven the dog, and now I heard them up whimpering, the screaming and the whimpering and Bill's muddled murmuring behind me, I found myself backing toward him through the snow almost senselessly until a new sound erupted and overcame the others. The whistlers. Their voices rose, familiar now, surrounded us until I couldn't hear the shrieking roar. The whimpering dog couldn't hear Bill's exhausted breathing or my own beating heart. I turned, suddenly focused, and grabbed his hand. He had been holding his pistol, aiming it unsteadily toward the woods. I took it now and heaved him upright. He was woozy, bleeding freely into the snow. Gary Law's khaki pants were soaked red. There was blood on his head, too, a scrape from a bolt on the van's bumper, not deep. His eyes were half-closed. Stay awake, I said, grabbing Bill's chin more roughly than I meant to, yanking him toward the lodge. The whistler's cries were harrowing, but, but helpful now. They seemed to propel us onward, made us focus on the fear, the imperative of flight. The dog had bitten Bill's bad leg, the one already weakened by his twisted ankle. He could walk, but he was shaking. I helped him cross the street, helped him up the porch and into the lodge's dining area. He collapsed into a chair, leaned his body against a table. 
He was grimacing horribly, and we were losing daylight fast. I cut away his pant leg with my knife. You're gonna need stitches, I said. The dog bite was an arc of puncture wounds with a deep gash torn near his shin. The wound on his head was bloody, but not horribly deep, not as bad as it looked. A scrape, only a shock. And now the blood was seeping lower. I set an electric lantern on the table, but it still wasn't enough light. Headlamps in the lounge, he said. When I went for it, I remembered the bottle of cheap gin. Find it, Bill called to me. There was a pain in his voice. I made myself hurry. There was alcohol hand sanitizer in my pack and a spool of surgical silk and steel needles. Ira had put the first aid together with his own skill set in mind. I poured water on the wounds, washed the blood away, and watched more take its place. Are you okay? He said. I don't know what I'm doing. I wiped a sanitizer on a needle and then doused the gash on his leg with it. He reeled where he sat as the alcohol burned. I'm sorry. He shook his head. You're doing fine. I handed him the gin bottle before I started... Oh, God. (laughs) I handed him the gin bottle before I started stitching. It was half full. I'm not crying. I think it's my allergies. (laughs) Uh, Ruth. Your your plate. Ruth and Bill. What have you gotten yourselves into? Bill took grateful swigs before nodding at me to get on with it. The skin was harder to pierce than I expected, but Bill seemed able to center himself amid the pain. He closed his eyes and only grunted a little each time I pulled the thread through. He kept saying it was okay, that I was doing fine. Finally, I tied off the thread and taped a square of gauze over my work. I sat at the table afterwards, sweating inexplicably, exhausted, feeling there was more I should do. Replaying the noises in my head, the sequence of events, the whistlers, and the thing that had answered my shouts. Bill walking toward the woods, the sound, the dog. What came first? It was jumbled already, the memory. I've recorded it here the way that makes the most sense. The moon was rising, and we leaned into each other, both of us looking away at the deepening shadows, looking through the windows for signs of life finding the night remarkably, horribly quiet. He drank from the gin bottle again, then handed it to me. It was harsh and cheap, but I took more than one burning gulp. Suppose the dog was running from it, Bill asked. I shrugged, but something dreadful was welling up inside me. I stood up and turned in a useless circle and felt hot tears falling, felt the desperation and spoiled hopes of the past weeks rolling over me. I was collapsing and leaned toward this table to steady myself, but Bill caught me before I could. He stood and held me against his chest, one easy movement, one hand against the back of my head. He was breathing in the same uncontrolled gasps that had overtaken him on the trail before we saw Red Hill, when he was balancing between despair and a kind of jovial release. He pulled my hair down, smoothing it between his hands so my head tipped back so I had no choice but to look up at him. My vision cleared, tears stopped, and then we were breathing together, our eyes locked and bodies reacting like two leaves tugged down by the same current, deciding what came next. He shook while he lifted my skirt over my head. Say it one more time. (laughs) He shook while he lifted my skirt over my head. 
Are you saying shirt? Did I say shirt or skirt? I think you've been saying skirt, which is definitely <laughs> different than shirt. Oh, God. I'm like... <laughs> the H looked like the K. I thought he was a skirt. He was. That's why I was, that's why I was shocked. Picturing this grown-ass man. This woman has a skirt on in the middle of winter. I don't care. Bam. <laughs> <Just, laughs> that's all I saw. I don't care. Show me your vagina. The skirt's coming over the head. Not only that, but it's like winter, so like she's cold. That's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking, what the hell are you wearing a skirt for, you bitch? He shook while he lifted the, the shirt over my head. <laughs> okay. Bill. <laughs> Lee, I'm scared. <laughs> Thank you, Telltale. <sighs> Bill. He kissed me then, so I couldn't speak. Have you ever read something this romantic on their podcast? No, no but this isn't really romantic. This this reads to me as a tension building. No, like this is like this is the this is the last moment. Like they know they're gonna fucking die, and they're just like interesting. They're like, yeah, let's get it on. Wow. Yeah. Let's do this. this. This guy has fucking. I'm just a man. Just gotten out of fucking surgery. <laughs> You're just a woman. <laughs> Let me think about the one joy that'll scatter a hundred sorrows. <laughs> the one joy that'll scatter a hundred whistlers. Uh, hold on, my inhaler. Oh shit! <laughs> Don't get an asthmatic high, people. Did I have to use my inhaler last time? He kissed me then, so I couldn't speak, and he was right to. There was nothing whatever, oh God, there was nothing whatsoever to say. I followed him to the lounge to the bed. He sat back and pulled me on top of him, wincing as he leaned against the cushions, but still holding me with a tense grip, still saying yes. It didn't seem the stove was pumping out much heat, but I took everything off, wanting him to see me and the body so much walking and hunger and fear hadn't made. Wanting to feel tangible and whole on this night, when our existence was impossible to take for granted. He kissed my neck while he made love to me, and whispered that we would make it, make it through the winter, make it to the coast, make it to home. I had to believe him. Fucking A. December 17th. Bill was pale the next morning, weak, but he wouldn't stay in bed when I asked him to. He hobbled around the lodge, gathering more gear, hauling it out to the jeep, dragging the gas can up from where he had abandoned it in the road. I made him some broth, but he wouldn't eat, and in the afternoon he walked away toward the woods, toward the place where the dog ran and the roar sounded. He walked toward the trees and stopped and stared, and when I hollered from the porch, he didn't look back at me. I tried to follow, to fetch him, but it seemed, even limping, he took two steps onward for each one of mine. He went on until he was in the trees out of sight, and as much as I wanted to, I couldn't make myself follow. I stood in the frozen road and shouted for him, but I didn't have it in me to enter the woods. I lay in bed through the night with open eyes, hearing the whistlers soft, far away like a lullaby. I heard Catherine on the wind. The tears come much easier when I'm alone. I found him this morning, sitting on the porch steps facing out with ice in his beard. 
I touched his neck and he held my arm. He seemed alert. He looked into my eyes. What happened to you? I was nearly crying, but he didn't respond. He just rubbed my arm and let me lead him inside, watched me through saddened eyes. Later, once he was warm, he said he had gone to the woods to listen to the whistlers, and he said that he could understand them now. Don't say that, Bill. I cried into his shoulder, pressed my fingers to his lips, but he was calm. It's okay, Ruth. We'll go to the coast tomorrow. You'll be safe. We'll be safe, I said. He nodded and held me tighter. December 18th. It was sad, pulling out of Red Hill, watching it shrink behind us until it was closed off by a, a ridge of granite and a curtain of trees. It felt momentous, almost like we were beginning a journey again. Sorry, I read that completely wrong. Almost like this was the beginning of our journey again, like we were grad students. Me with my love of reading, and him with his lust for the outdoors. I had married his brother and he had always wanted to get closer. And one night, one late night in the office, grading papers, we had a crazy idea. I wrote the grant application. He planned logistics. Ira took a sabbatical, volunteered. I met Lillian at a conference. All we saw was how our interests aligned. He went out, we went out for drinks, the whole group all together, talked about how much fun it would be. We were barely in the Jeep, 40 minutes before we ran out of road. Our path terminated in a wide lot of pale brown gravel. There was no airstrip, just a rutted lot with puddles that had turned to slush. A floating dock, slick with ice, and a boathouse with two broken canoes inside and a rusted hole in its roof. I was driving because Bill was ill, leaning against the window. His leg hurt him. It's badly bruised and the scrape on his head isn't healing. He stared straight ahead, and once we, we were parked, he stared through the windshield with tears forming in his eyes. I don't know what he was expecting. It was hard to see what we were that we were at the edge of the earth now, out of options. You know, Bill said, sniffling and wiping his nose, in the olden days, people would, they would walk into the sea to kill themselves. There's something if I don't suppose. I've never seen anything poetic in a dead body. He reached from a hand across the gear shift. I'm not, I'm not going back to Red Hill, Ruth. I can't. Not now. I can't look at Iris' grave again. I can't walk through that kitchen and pretend there isn't a corpse in the freezer. I can't. What else is there? He shook his head. There's the rub. I pulled my hand away and got out of the jeep. It was impossible holding my thoughts together. I wanted to stop struggling, but not to die. I wanted Bill to stop feeling pain, but not to be alone. I wanted to end both of our suffering. Wishing I had said yes days ago when Bill laid Ira in his grave, when he asked if we should lie down to him. It was windy at the coast. <laughs> windy. I've done that before too. Uh, it was windy at the coast. So cold, my cheeks burned. I walked down toward the dock, but couldn't go far without risking my footing on the ice. Bill was watching me from inside the jeep, waiting. 
I suppose, to hear me say I was ready to give up too. But I wasn't ready. I closed my eyes, felt the embrace of the wind, and deep within the hush of it I heard the cry again, my little Catherine's cry, and a voice, a man's voice, Ira's, singing to her. Bill got out of the jeep and looked toward the sound. Whistlers, he said. Is that what you hear? I walked toward it. Where are you going, Bill called. I waved that I was okay and walked around the useless boathouse, up a low hill of slide and gravel. At the top, the wind was stronger, swirling with tiny snowflakes, and I could see more gray water up the coast. I could see distant glimpses of shoreline, segmented by trees and low surf, and a bobbing shape of white and blue, lodged against a spit of dark sand. I rushed back down the hill toward the jeep, sliding the gravel, panting hard. What is it? Bill said. There's a boat, I gasped. Get your pack. It was impossible to take the jeep directly up the beach. There was too much loose gravel, too many jutting black rocks in our path. We had to... This one's wind. <laughs> we had to wind in and out of patches of forest. We had to boost each other over boulders, had to trudge through coarse sand. I was relentless, forcing myself onward, climbing every dune to confirm the boat was still in sight, still a small blue and white catch with bare masts and an enclosed cabin. The sound led me onward all the while, the sound of Ira and Catherine, the sound Bill kept pausing to warn me of, the sound he said was whistlers luring us into a trap. It looks abandoned. Bill said, once we were near. He was clutching his leg, holding the place where I sure his bite wound had opened. I never offered to stop, to slow down, to do anything but press onward. I felt certain about the boat, that it was waiting for us, destined for us, our salvation. Our salvation? We slid down a final scree slope and reached the gray, pebbled beach where the boat was moored. Or, not moored exactly, but stuck. It was surrounded with driftwood and other debris. Bill looked exhausted, unimpressed. It's a death trap, Ruth, he said. The tide is coming in. Come on, help me get inside. The tide will take us out, and the Coast Guard will find us. The Coast Guard will not find us. This area will be iced over in a month. It's suicidal. Do you know anything about sailing? My dad owned a catch. We didn't go out much, I wish. But as I spoke, Bill turned away from the boat and stared into the trees. He was flexing his hands, trembling. Do you hear that? I did hear it. Snapping twigs, the moaning bend of a branch, then the whistling. Deep in the trees, coming closer, Bill was breathing hard, backing toward the boat, keeping me behind him as the whistling rose in front of us, so the wailing rose behind the crying, the singing, summoning me backward, summoning me into the boat. The tide was already rising, the boat bobbing in water that was almost deep enough to whisk it away. I hear Ira. I said. What? Bill gave me a bewildered, almost angry look. I hear him singing. I hear Catherine. He looked sad for me and reached for me, but I backed away into the water. It rose over my shoes and soaked my socks, icy cold. Don't, Ruth, he said. I'm getting on the boat, Bill. There was a ladder down one side of the hole. I could wade to it and pull myself in. I don't need his help. You said you wouldn't go back to Red Hill. This is what's left. This is the other choice. The whistling in the trees grew louder, and every second the beach felt smaller, more like a trap. His face changed, and the wind rustled his hair. Yes, 
he said strangely. Yes, you're right. Get on the boat, Ruth. I turned and waded toward the ladder, telling myself he would follow, telling myself all would be well. Why can't you hear it, though? I said as I reached the ladder, as I pulled myself up onto the weathered deck. Why can't you hear Ira singing? But when I turned around, Bill was halfway up the beach, looking small, facing away from me, his skin white and his arms rigid. Bill? I called. The boat was creaking and the deepening tide, and the wind was rushing around the sand. The boat jolted beneath me, something dark appeared beyond the trees, something I could barely see. It was moving, a shadow independent of the shifting needles and swaying branches, a shape, a being, taller than a man and deliberate in its movements. I raised my revolver in shaking hands. I fired more than once, but there was no reaction. The sound was lost among all the others, the screaming and gnashing, the howl of the whistlers. Bill was close to the woods now. He had to see it, but he was paralyzed, as straight and immovable as the trees. I screamed for him, wishing he would look at me, but he didn't move, and beneath me the boat shifted again, and I fell, hit my head on the icy rail, and once I had scrambled upright again, Bill had fallen. He was collapsed on the sand, and the creature was looming closer to him, coming through the trees, crouching down. The whistling hushed, suddenly, almost completely. Even the wind seemed to ease. It takes its prey, one at a time. I couldn't hear Catherine anymore, or Ira, but I could hear the whistlers, the softest warning tone, intelligible now, almost like words telling me to close my eyes. There's always one survivor, always someone spared. The wind pushed the catch away from the shore, and the darkness closed over Bill. I don't remember anything else. Fucking bitch. Of course you don't. I'll never get a straight fucking answer. Fuck! December 22nd. My name is Ruth Gadiger. Please bring my body back to Oregon if you can. My driver's license is in my wallet. This account of events is for the families of the deceased. For the helicopter pilot and Lillian and Jeff. For Bill and Ira's mother. And the chef we found in Red Hill. What about Gary Law? Yeah, fuck Gary Law. What about Gary Law? Fuck Gary Law. I don't want it published. I don't want to be one more link in the chain of juvenile curiosity. Another mystery in the big book of stories that sends people like us to places like this to die. We had so many opportunities over the years to drop the question, to live with the unknown. We called ourselves folklorists, but we imagined ourselves as adventurers, righteous explorers exposing a mystery. We imagined we had the right. I never thought the, rest the whistlers were real before coming here. I thought they were a dark side of the human psyche, just one of many predictable byproducts of human life in cold, isolated, untenable conditions. I wanted to sit around a fire with shifty-eyed fur trappers and remote homesteaders and listen to their spooky stories like a tourist. We didn't satisfy our curiosity coming here, didn't pick apart the tangled lore. We only satisfied the hunger of the thing that stalks this place. It's been here a long time. 
the chef thought, at war with the whistlers. How long have they kept it at bay? It doesn't even have a name. At this late hour, I find I can't put a description into words, and I don't want to, because I realize now there are some things we don't deserve to know. I love that. There are stories we shouldn't tell, unknowns that should remain unknown. I should have done this in the Jeep with Bill. It would have been better, but not necessarily easier. To die in the back seat in his arms, warm, staring out at the ocean. The boat ran aground on a sandbar not far from where I lost Bill. I've been wandering down the coast. I made it back to the Jeep. Fuck! There are no whistlers to follow me now, nothing watching from beyond the trees. The snow is deep and the land has gone quiet. For how long, I don't know. I don't know if I was spared or if the evil that lives here is merely biding its time again. If you found this, the backpack, thank you, whoever you are. I'm out of gas, out of food, and at night, no matter where I look, there are no lights in any direction. It's cold, I'll close my eyes for a little while. There's still one round in the revolver. I haven't made up my mind. Ending is almost poetic. She shot herself? She absolutely killed herself. Uh, the question is... She, she went back to the Jeep. Yeah. She found herself back at the Jeep. I guess I would kill myself then, too. You knew it was... You killed herself you, in the Jeep. Oh, I would have killed my... If I'm going to level with you, I would have killed myself long, long before any of this. But, uh... Yeah, if I got to the end and realized it wasn't the end, you know? Wow. So the Whistlers weren't really bad. I, it's ambiguous, man. Part of me thinks that the ending is her buying into her own shit. You know, at the end of your rope, you'll believe anything to justify it. Yeah, that's true. Like, like her hearing her dead child. Maybe. Oh, she she stopped becoming a reliable narrator long before we started part two. Wow, well, when you know, <laughs> as soon as I knew it, when as soon as she was referring to. A process I've never heard of of diluting heat. <laughs> You're still stuck on the dilating heat. Oh, that's fucking great. Maybe I'm wrong. Oh, what did you think of Whistlers? I thought it was quality. I thought it was captivating. A little romantic, you know, at times. It was It was definitely, it, it had its, its hook, line, and sinkers. I, I just realized I never fucking introduced you. For this I never episode? introduced myself either. Well, it's highly implied that you're the same person from the prior episode because maybe it's part I'm, one and part maybe two. Maybe I'm a whistler. Yeah, there is something terrifying about that in the middle of the night. You know, in the middle of the woods, I would yeah. Hate, but I would hate to hear something like really far away sounding like. That's kind of terrifying. And, and, and more than just one And more whistle. than just one, a melodious tone. <laughs> I, if I tried whistling right now to demonstrate, I would just smile and then look like an idiot. So I'm not going to try. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> a, but let me say, Tenron Otrin, an hour and a half into this fucking episode, I feel like I've spoiled you. You just keep having good, good episode after good episode, good story after good story. This is uh, technically round three, but the second story we've read, and it's fucking gold. 
It yeah. was a gold fucking story. I mean... It was up there. Yeah, you know, it was just having... Some of the best stuff I've read so far. The right amount of ambiguity at the end. Yeah. No, I mean, it It. it walked a tightrope the entire two parts yeah. of ambiguity. We went into this episode saying, I still don't know what the fuck these things are. And the level of restraint it takes to build a monster and not fucking talk about it. I mean, part of me is like... From a writing perspective, that's just lazy and uncreative. But at the same time, there's something, like, tantalizing about it. Because this writer... Uh, I mean, I'm not going to say they were the best fucking author I've ever read. <laughs> but there was, a ta- there was a talent there. There was a high-quality fan fiction level of talent. They, they adhered to, you know, principles of good authorship. You know, yes. they stuck... To the truth of the character and the world that they were building. Yes. I found myself thinking a lot back to the search and rescue stories, which are well written on all of Django Phillips' episodes. And we constantly talk about how great they are and how, how ambiguous they are and how just great that makes a, uh, a creepy story. The, the levels of deconstruction and, and critical thought that goes into both reading and, I imagine, developing a story like this, which is why I'm so fucking excited. But I, I do want to address some questions. Absolutely. Of this, of this, Absolutely. Of this ending, especially. Yes. They're, they're being surrounded by these whistlers, and uh-huh. then all of a sudden, she's, she starts to hear her baby into Ira. Well, she's been talking like that for like a week. In in that universe, her logs starting as soon as like. Well, I'm referring to I'm referring to like when she opens the door and it's Ira. That was I think um, the beginning of when she started. She hearing... mentions hearing babies as soon as we start, as soon Having. as we started part two. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, she she mentioned hearing babies when we closed out the that's, end of part yeah, one. That's true. Um, it's the opening <clears throat> of part two that she says that it sounds more like laughing under thought. But I think that's really just her mind and, and her going fucking, sure. fucking bananas. Yeah. I think any, you know, reasonable, rational person in this situation would go fucking nuts. Yeah. Nuck and futs. Let's, let's even talk about the chef. Like... That was wonderful. I loved that segment and I loved what that... Did, are are you talking about the note? The, the note. Uh, the fact the that she was in the note. freezer. Like, did she hide herself in the freezer? No, it's implied that she was like locked in there, right? They said that her fingers looked as though she was clawing her way out and couldn't. Yeah. No one was around to hear the ringing the, to get out. No one. But then, why do you think she wrote that kind of mysterious note? Because she was evacuating town and got fucking... She probably went into freezer to get something to leave and got fucking locked in there. No one, no one was there to let her out. Yeah, those giant, those giant fucking freezers, specifically when electricity and shit goes, like those things can air seal. I've been trapped in one of those fucking things before. I, luckily, I had a co-worker um, who was walking around doing stuff maybe come in and get me like two minutes later. They didn't know where I was, and they just fucking... They had to go in there for something, and boom, I was there. F- fucking terrifying. It is absolutely... And it's really fucking cold. I mean, I like the cold, so whatever. But yeah, I mean... Stuck in there, decides to write about what's happening right then and there that got her in that place. 
and decides to say something along the lines of, it's not the Whistlers that are killing us, it's something else. And the ending then shows only one, only one, one being, en- one, one entity. Yeah, entity, creature, approach Bill. There's a lot of speculation. Uh, you know, who's to say that? Who's to say that the Whistlers are even a mass? What if it's one thing that just makes a bunch of fucking noises? What if it's like an anglerfish? On land. Well, no, I mean, not the, the anatomy, I mean the function. Like, like luring. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. What if, what if it is a, um, yeah, what if it's a fucking mechanism uh, for prey? Uh, that's, that's so fucking, oh, that's nuts. I don't know. I really don't know. This is one of the first stories where I got to the end of it, and I'm like, I really don't get it, but I like it. Which is why I say the search and rescue thing, really, it, like, I draw a lot of lines to that. Because, like, search and rescue often ends with me scratching my head, but I'm like, fuck, that's well written, and I can't really argue with it. This is, like, just a really long search and rescue log. And... How did you, <sighs> did you appreciate the interjections by the author of the post it sells the reddit thread the fact that we're not reading it through reddit probably takes away a little bit okay yeah um you got to understand that when i'm like stealing these things and like when i go to these sites to download uh, and copy and paste stories like i get the experience from some of them like there was a um one of the sources I get stories from is called Stories to Read Alone at Night. Oh. And the website looks like a 98 desktop and email browser. So, like, a lot of what is most scary about that is entirely the aesthetic of which they set up their stories. Because it's like reading emails that aren't yours. It's very creepy. And it's like dial-up days. Like, it looks dial-up. Jeez. It's, it's re- they really sell the... Um, Aesthetic. They really sell the context of that, uh, of that delivery. And Reddit No Sleep, everyone knows it has this forum, you know, approach. And I, I, I often find authors breaking that fourth wall and continuing stories and answering things in comments. And this is one of those stories where I would have gone to the comments and just fucking read everything anyone had to say about this. Good comments, stupid comments, yeah. shit comments. I would have read fucking it's everything. That's what I do with all my Pornhub videos. Absolutely. It's hilarious. Comments, threads. That's I screenshot <laughs> some of the comments. Yeah. That's fucking hilarious. <laughs> I'll show you some. Are you fucking serious? I wouldn't classify her as a MILF. Very tasteful. Fake tits. I hate... I can't say that. <laughs> no, don't. But you can it's the N it, it's, it's the... the, uh, it's the <laughs> oh, it's one of those... It's uh, the users. Keep, it's, keep, it's, scroll it's, over. Scroll over. Oh, man. Hitler did nothing wrong. <laughs> I'm telling you. Scroll over. Honey Bucket Savage is through the fire and flames harder than the devil went down in Georgia. (laughs) (laughs) I must be frank. Did you ever hear the tragedy of Darth Plagueis the Wise? Fucking A, it's the entire thing. I thought not. It's not a story the Jedi would tell. It's not a story the Jedi would tell. It's a Sith legend. I'm not fucking reading this, but that's hilarious. That's fucking hilarious. <laughs> this is my favorite one. It's treason, then. A surprise, to be sure. 
But a welcome one. Fuck it, eh? Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that absolutely sells it. What about the joint attack on the Wookiees? Keanu Monday. <laughs> yeah, you never got something good. You never got oh, anything God, good. It's just... Oh. Anyway. Yeah, um, <clears throat> One more question I had about... Yeah. Well, I guess more of a proposition, not a proposition, a proposal to what the the, the matter the, the matter of fact is about what's going on. Okay. I do believe that it was not Ruth kind of buying into her own fantasy of what okay. she wanted to believe. Because it just did seem peculiarly just luck that they they were led to the the boat. That she was led to the boat, um, <clears throat> you know, by the, the virtue of the fact that there was she was hearing things, but that, at the same time they were, arrived. Not only were they were their backs against the wall with, you know, with what was coming in, but the tide was at the perfect time coming in so that the mm-hmm. boat could leave. And it was odd though that the boat, you know, unless was it wedged or had it been blocked by like. She said that there was debris and that the debris was keeping it grounded. Okay. So when the water level rose, the debris loosened and the boat was able to get out. Yeah, I, it was it was good timing. There is, if if I'm if I'm running with your argument, then I would probably say that the then what she was hearing coming from behind her versus in front of her was almost like a death knell, like something that. It's said to be like an omen of what will eventually lead to your death, like an echo. Huh. Um, a lot of people cite this, like this is a real life thing, a lot of people cite like a, like an echo of a noise from a certain place in time that will sound at the event of someone's death, um, almost a memory. And if you think about it, Catherine died when she had her, and Ira was dead recently, it's easy to understand that whatever tenuous universe we may live in, that something like that may have happened to her uh, going into the boat that would eventually lead her yeah. to her loneliness, isolation, and eventual death. Yeah. And do you think Bill died? Bill's absolutely dead. He was feasted upon. They said he went down and nothing came up. Uh, and let's whatever talk, let's whatever talk about it was... Whatever it was was staring over him. Yeah, it was. It was taller than a man. It's a, taller than a man, covered in brown it, fur. It moved with deliberate action, purpose. Yeah, and it was a shadowy. Yeah, just a shadowy figure. So I mean, God, you could picture that. That's anything. literally anything. That could be Bigfoot to Slenderman. It could that be could... even the black smoke from Lost. That I didn't want to say it, but that's where my fucking mind went, and I didn't want to fucking talk about it. Mine drifted. Mine drifted there. At hearing the description... Fucking Damon Lindelof. <laughs> fucking Damon Lindelof. He ruins all good things. But seriously, like... It is a bit of the lost thing. It's a little bit of the... It's something that exists in the mind that cannot be perceived... By human eyes. Yeah. Yeah. A load of bullshit, more like it. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, that creature, it sounded nuts, but it also sounded just ambiguous and generic enough to get me to not really focus on it. Yeah. After all that time, I really just... It leaves you with... Is this a Whistler taking a product, or is this the monster the Whistlers warn us from? And I, I dislike that I am still sitting at this ambiguous crossroad deciding which way I want to go with the story. Because yeah. I am not a believer of masses. I do not buy into conspiracy well, theory let's suggest, bullshit. Let's suggest that the Whistlers are a separate entity that they do protect. Maybe, maybe that's why the dog is still around. The Whistlers might protect the dog from this... I don't know, man. The dog just seemed to be approaching the Whistlers as a food chain bullshit. Like, it didn't want to attack something bigger than them. Yeah, yeah. And they they had said that there were were coyotes and wolves around. And we don't know what the Whistlers are. We still don't. They they evidently drag their feet and have some, some type of gait that is like a human. That's about all we got. That's about all we got. We we have not been given any description of the Whistlers other than that there are many, or it sounds like there are many, and it looks as though by marks on the ground that there are many. Do you know they go in line, they kinda make sense. You know, I don't think it's just one thing making a bunch of noises. I do think that there's a mass, but who's to say that the thing at the end wasn't just a single whistler coming out to fuck Bill? You know, lack of better words. Picturing family guy animation just Whistler coming out. Having sex with Bill on the ground. Oh my god. I, um, yeah. When do you think Bill got, quote unquote, like, infected? Was it when he started to... You think, they, Bill, you think Bill was infected? Similarly to how Ira was. I disagree. I Here's why I think he was. Okay. Because remember when they had argued about either leaving the lodge or staying. Yes. And Ruth was like, one more night? Uh-huh. After that, Bill became more distant and would... It was No, it was after Iris' death. Yeah. Bill would, you know, he would leave. He would, he would go... He would leave and he would go further. And one night he came back later than all the others. And she found him in the morning. Yeah. You know? On the porch. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking, the fact that we are we are made known that he is he is separated there is there is one day no the day that what you're thinking of so there was an there was a, a long slew of days where Ira he, died so Ira died and then there were a long slew of days where sure. he went out and he came back further and he went out and he and he went further and came back later and it seemed to get later and later every day then there was a day where he, where she saw him out there, and he turned and walked and, and left, and she he, could and he never came back. Yeah, that's and she I'm... woke up like a. But they are unrelated events. It was a couple days later. She spent like maybe a night by herself, because he walked away like a later day. But regardless, point is still in fact. Yeah. At I... some point, you say he was drawn into the woods and almost indoctrinated. He was, he was gone. You know. It's very similar to Ira. Ira was lost longer. Yeah, yeah. Certainly. So when he came back, he came back more fucked up. Maybe that makes sense. Maybe I'll need a listen 
I'll need to listen to the story over again to really get that detail. Sure. But if you ask me, I'm just saying Bill didn't experience anything Ira did. I think Bill was looking to die. Die? Yeah, looking to kill, like... I just, I just think it goes against Bill's character. I didn't think he would... He was bit by a dog. He's been through, he's been through a lot, but yeah. he never seemed to ever give up. Yeah. Even after Ira's death, immediately after, he wasn't trying to give up. But I think it was from when he was, he disappeared, and mm-hmm. then at the last moment he just gives up, and knowingly he would be giving himself up. I think it contradicts Bill's character. He wouldn't give himself up to this thing they've been being chased by. Because I think Bill has a little bit more pride, and just that's his character. Now that's saying if he if he isn't possessed or whatever yeah. infected, but I think it also I think it supports my idea that he's been quote unquote infected just because he he gives up. So you think the ending is more him being taken by what he's already given into? Yeah. See, I think it I think it makes perfect sense. He was feeling. Have you seen The Gray? You talked about Liam, Liam, Neeson. Liam Neeson. Yeah. Uh, I th- there's a character very brash and very like brazen and outspoken and just kind of an asshole who legit just gives up. Perfect physical condition. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and he's one of the last four people and he just fucking sits down and tells everyone to walk away. And you just know he's fucking dead. And I... I think of Bill that way. I think he literally just got to an end point and said, my leg isn't going to get any better and now I'm going to go swim with it and it's already infected and rebroken. The stitches are already broken. I feel like shit. My brother's fucking dead. This girl's nuts. Like, all of these things are adding up, and he just keeps seeing obstacle after obstacle, and that there is no way out, and all this shit just coming down the barrel, and literally, just like the gray, just literally turned around and just said, fuck it. Yeah. And let it happen. I I think that when he came back later that day, I think he spent a night somewhere else without heat in a cabin to get away from her for a day i don't think he just walked off into the forest and slept in the fucking forest i think he went looking couldn't find what he was looking for and just came back yeah maybe he walked the entire fucking night you know he was looking to get got and he didn't get got um at least i don't think so i don't think he gave enough warning signs ira was real fucked if I remember anything from the first part is that Ira was almost unspeakable and it had been maybe, I would say, somewhere in a three-day to two-week timeline that he had been missing. It, it wasn't It wasn't yeah. that long. I'm thinking it's less than a week. Yeah. And he was straight fucked. And, yeah. then, and then he's gone for like three weeks and then we see him again in part two. And now he is... Severely... Not even human anymore. Barely human. How would they recognize him? You know someone in their face and their eyes. It, it has to be the face. Yeah. Because they said his body was all sorts of fun. His arm was gone. He had a missing arm. How about that, right? What does that make you think? You fucking open What got door. his arm? You open a door. Whistler, stop whistling. And you just see this armless man. 
you shoot him in the fucking face. Absolutely. I didn't question her judgment at all. Um, but I think, I think you shoot him in the fucking face and you turn the body around and you go, oh, fuck. That's my husband without, you know, and a shave job in, in, you know, three weeks. Yeah, it clicks. Yeah, his state, his state was really questionable. I wanted to talk about it, but it was just, again, just ambiguous enough to be like, I don't know if he did that to himself or if something did it to him, you know? Maybe it was a, you know, a whistler trying to, like, keep him alive, or maybe he was trying to keep himself alive. He didn't have a shirt, and his, no hair, shoes. his hair was really long, and he wasn't wearing shoes. I still kind of lead to the whistlers are people. That have lost their shit theory. I am legend. Crazies. The, the time machine. The t- fucking time machine. The warlocks. Man. Fucking morlocks. <laughs> fucking morlocks, man. Um, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's hard to see how they would survive the winters and that a human doesn't really match that last monster's description. Not right. really. Not really, but who's to say that it couldn't have just been a, a taller person who had covered themselves in shit? Um, nah, I don't think it's a monster. No, I'm serious. They said it was taller than a thing and moved with deliberate thought. Yeah. Ta- taller than a human can mean four inches or three feet. Yeah. <laughs> like, we're gonna, I'm, I'm if gonna we're really feet. breaking it down, it could have just been a, you know, a six foot... Person. Oh, taller. Covered in shit. I'm not talking like literal feces. I just mean like maybe brush. Maybe something. Maybe fur. Who fucking knows, dude? Who fucking knows? Because I sure don't. Let's see if these listeners can fucking make sense of it. Because I fucking can. (laughs) But I loved it at the same time. But but like I really... I had a fun time reading it. And... I'm going to have a fun time thinking about it for a while. Yeah. This was a good fucking story. Yeah. And let me tell you, you're going to fucking love Odd Kids, man. And anyone who liked this I'm is going to fucking we, love Odd I'm Kids. I'm sorry we didn't read that. No, it's it, it's it's something. Be ready a couple episodes from now because Odd Kids is just fucking... It's funny. It's all sorts of funny. <laughs> it's funny, one, because I'm on mushrooms for half of the story. Oh. The other half... Is because it's actually a good story. <laughs> but anyway, um, that's this episode. Uh, Ten rounds. Is there anything you want to talk about? Anything, no. anything you want to say? We we had really good Chinese night, and <laughs> I think you know whenever you read a story, I think it's important to consider your diet and how it might affect how you think of the story. You know, afterwards, and I gotta say. Uh, um, the setting for me is just Nepal. <laughs> yeah. That's my final thought. That's where this place... That's, that's where, where the story took place. took place? Took place in Nepal? Nepal. All right. With English names like Red Hill. <laughs> Red Hill. Yeah, totally Nepal, man. <laughs> Who knows? Who knows, man? Red Hill. Qinghua. Maybe they just translated <laughs> Yeah, maybe everything was just translated. Red Hill. <laughs> Um, okay. You know, yeah. Monosyllabic. I'm trying to do a good, worthy impression. If there's one thing, just like off record, off story topic, horror related things going on, any fans of Let's Plays or 
watching horror games on YouTube, any kind of stuff like that, um, it's, well, shit, it's, this is going to be a lot after October. Regardless, it's on YouTube, so you could watch it whenever. Um, It's October right now, while we're recording this, and for every day of October, the group Super Best Friends, which consists of three dudes that do Let's Plays, uh, two of them do something every Halloween, every October, called Shitstorm, and there are six series of, like, 30-plus vids, 31 to be exact, every year that they release of them playing horror games just straight for 31 days and they release a new video every day and it's fucking great and super best friends are such a good watch i highly recommend watching their shitstorms and watching their playthrough of resident evil 7 yeah they're just fucking awesome but anyway um fuck pewdiepie of all horror Let's Players. And Markiplier. Never really understood the love for Markiplier. He's a he's a goof, and there's something lovable in that, but just super fucking annoying after a while. Too fucking eccentric. Calm, calm the fuck down a little bit. Which one's he? Markiplier. Glasses. Oh no! I'm scared! Oh, the, uh, the, uh, the Asian? He's kind of Asian, I guess. Deep big old voice. Sp- big old square jaw. Deep voice, right? I'm trying to make faces like him. A really deep voice. Sometimes. I'm thinking of someone else, maybe. Are you thinking of that meme kid, that Asian kid with the thin wire glasses? Who has like a really no, deep no, voice? No, no, no. He, he does a viral video of... Yeah. Um, he does a bat Like, he's a bad supervillain. Yeah. And he's like, I've poisoned the water supply! <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, you poisoned the water supply where you found that... You've actually found out that we have an inconsistent leak going on, so thank you so much for... That yeah. kid? Yeah. That's... No, it's not. It's not. That's not... Okay, what that's who I'm thinking of. <laughs> I love it. That's who you were thinking of? <laughs> yeah. That's what I was saying. Shit. All right. Oh, no, you, Mark... You're talking about him? He's so funny. Markiplier is someone else. I'm but... still confused. Markiplier is someone else. That, okay. that is not that person. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I follow that guy. He's great. I think and, I Pewdie- and PewDiePie is. I, don't, I hate. I've hated PewDiePie since I heard about PewDiePie. I, I, okay, I'm gonna. I'm gonna. If I could hipster on like one thing, it's I watched his playthrough of both of the Amnesia games and like all of their DLC back before he was popular and like everyone thought his shit was gold. That was the only thing I've ever enjoyed from him, and I've never watched. I've watched, like, barely anything else, because I really just, I I don't give a shit. His screaming is funny for Amnesia and, like, nothing else. Because Amnesia in a game itself, horror fans, is a fucking goldmine of horror anxiety. Yeah. So, anyway. That was Lots of Pasta, here with Captain Death and Tenron Otrin. Anything to take us out? For Ruth. For Ruth, man. Baby Ruth. Nutty milk. Baby Ruth. (laughs) Nutty milk. Milk chocolate. (laughs) Baby Ruth. (laughs) Sloth love chunk. (laughs) I feel like we've been holding in two episodes worth of jokes. And and we're just laying them in the last ten seconds. Oh, we took this story seriously. (laughs) Good. Two to the one, the one to the three. I like the pussy and I like the tree. Smoke so much weed, she wouldn't Get more ass than a toilet seat. Three to the one, the one to the three. I met a bad bitch.
Last night at the DMJ.